Welcome to Coffee with Curtis, your home for quality business conversation. Hey everyone, I'm Robert Curtis. Welcome to the podcast. Have we got a show for you? We're releasing this episode on International Women's Day. So to recognize this, we had on the pod two great women, Yaradin Asa and Shefi Nopal, who have founded a tech company that is trying to break down the barriers in the way that we hire talent. Their company is called Unboxable, and they'll be telling us all about it, as well as chatting about other big themes in HR, tech, and their own views on entrepreneurship. In true Coffee with Curtis style, this was another great unscripted conversation. So enjoy the podcast. Yarden and Steffi, I'm so excited that both of you could make it onto Coffee with Curtis. We've got so much to talk about today. So welcome to the show. Hey, Robert. Thank you for having us. Hi there. So happy to be here. Let's go. Wonderful. Well, uh, what the listeners won't know is that we've had a few full starts this morning. So uh, um, thank you for your patience. And we're going to we're going to take it from the top again. Yarden, um, I want to start with you introducing yourself. Just give the listeners a bit of a, a background on you. And uh, I, I think you are a natural born saleswoman because I've been reading up on you. And uh, it seems like you've got some apologies to give to your mom and her dresses. <laughs> That's true, thank you, Robert. So, hi everyone. I'm Elden. I'm the CEO of Unboxable. I had the privilege of starting this company together with Steffi, my co-founder. It's my second time as a co-founder and a CEO of a startup. And beforehand, I was acting as an investor, both both in a private equity fund and as a partner at an impact VC that I founded. But it's a story for another time. And Robert. As you mentioned, yes, I started my, I think that like entrepreneurship is, is mostly about spirit and character. And I think that it's something that I remember, I remember myself doing all of this out of the box kind of like behavior and believing and being like, have this type of behavior since I was a little kid. And I think that you're referring to the time that I was like, six or seven and my my mom came back from work and I was doing this uh uh <laughs> yard sale all of all of her personal items and 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 it was like it was sold very cheap but I I, I it was a success because I was able to to make a lot of money that day due to my uh my mom's uh, items yes I love it. Well, uh, well done to you. I'm sure your mom was really happy. But yeah. <laughs> um, Steffi, um, welcome to the podcast. Um, let's, so let's, let's hear a little bit about you. There's two stories I'd love you to just kick us off with as well. Once you've introduced yourself, you are also sort of a kindred spirit to me. I was reading that you basically convinced your husband and upped and moved country in 48 hours. Um, I'll tell you for another time, my story, very similar, moving to Israel. But um, I want to hear more about you. You're obviously a risk taker, very determined person. And uh, tell us about the fact that you've still got your kidneys. (laughs) Well, that's a weird story, of course. Um, It was in... uh, I was backpacking with one of my best friends in the north of Brazil. So um, yeah, like uh, at some point we started seeing the same two guys going after us and like they would appear in every party that we were and it started to get very weird. And um, I don't wanna tell all the stories, but all the details, but 
the truth is that at some point I told my best friend, okay, I'm going, I said it in, in German so the guys wouldn't understand. I'm going to count until 10 in German and then we're going to run until we see someone and saves us from uh, this. Uh, so that's what we did. We started running, 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 running uh, until police came. And finally we found out that these were two guys that were part of a, you know, organization um, that were, yeah, <laughs> stealing kidneys or organs so yeah I'm, I'm very happy that I'm here I'm an entrepreneur I live in Israel I have two kidneys, two kidneys yeah um and um <laughs> yeah I'm a risk taker I, I mean that's one of the only stories fortunately that story went very well uh, but I think that just I think that I was always a chutzpanit and I just like I just didn't know that there was a an entire country full of Kutzpanim. And um, so it feels very much at home when I'm here in the sense of entrepreneurship. I think that I like young then I was always an entrepreneur, uh, both in the way that I, you know, handled sport. I, I was an athlete before. And I think that gave me a lot of understanding about building teams and, you know, going towards goals. And yeah, a lot of the things that I do today are related to that past, right? But I think that it takes some guts to start a company, uh, to move from one country to the other. Um, and yeah, I love all of that. Bring me more. That's what I say. <laughs> Steffi, I didn't know that you had a sporting background. I often find that there is a disproportionate amount of people who have a very successful or very driven sporting or training mentality that are often very successful in business. Do you find that? Do you, do you sense there's a lot of parallels? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's scientifically reliable, right? But um, I, I, can re I can relate to the stories that are based on that. I think that there's a lot of elements that have to do with competing with yourself uh, with finding your own ways of, you know, uh, hacking your own system in order to, uh, in order to achieve something. But there's also what Yavden was saying before: a lot of spirit. You know, you need to have a huge backbone, um, a huge spine in order to continue. Even things are not going, you know, at the best all the time. And this is what training does to you, right? Like, uh, it's about a muscle. It's about a muscle on that you need to that you need to constantly use in your brain everywhere in your spirit. Yeah, I can resonate with that. Yarden, you were mentioning that you have obviously sat on the other side of the uh, sort of business fence as an investor, working not only as a, a sounds like an angel investor yourself, but also as um, a, as a partner within a VC. What do you prefer more? What are the the sort of I guess. Um, enjoyable parts of living on the on the other side as as the as the co-founder. What do you okay. mean? She prefers me, of course. <laughs> <Working with me. laughs> by all means, and that's the reason I'm here today. By all means, I prefer uh, the part of actually uh, of, of of being an entrepreneur that to build companies, to run up with an idea, to dream, and then to execute. Um, and I think I, I do not disvalue at all investors and that's positioning, but for my spirit and for my type of, of character, done and the ability to think something and to dream about it at night and then the morning after to be able to act upon it, for me, that's the game changer. That, 
this is this what makes me tick and move and the ability to build things with my bare hands. So definitely for me, an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur is better than an investor for my ride. Just uh, just from a, uh, I guess, background perspective, how did you both meet and decide to to go on this journey together? Steph, you want to take it or I should I? You can start and I will add my my side of the story. Um, in, in very short, we we start by having our mutual friends and both of us uh, were in this intersection uh, after having like this very long, also successful rides, thinking about our, our next journey. Our mutual friends told us, do you guys know each other? Because we have a feeling that you're going to to have fun together and to be irresistible. So I gave Steffi a call and uh, from there it's a history. And I think that another thing that uh, connects us together is the fact that both of us has our first kid at the same time. Um, and I think that uh, for women entrepreneurs, uh, having kids as part of the ride is something which is on one hand inevitable. Uh, and and it's, a, it's an amazing thing because it, it creates, it affects and actually um, determine a lot of how your journey would look like. Because there's a lot about, there's a lot of mutuality between motherhood and being uh, an owner of a business and the ability to hold so many balls in the air and the ability to, to act upon things and to understand like the other side. And so there's a lot of uh, things in common there. And I think that the fact that we're also going through this path together in so many similarities also is uh, one good reason that we're here together. Hmm. I love I it. I think that I, I want to add to that, that, you know, it took us really little time for me and for Yarden. I was coming from a, 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 another startup of mine. This is my third one. And, you know, I always had amazing teams besides when I moved into entrepreneurship. What I mean by that, it was, it was very, very hard for me to find um, good partnership, okay? And like, it took me at least, I don't know, then you can say something different if you want, brutally honest, <laughs> uh, but little time to understand that one, our way of communicating and like the, um, the connection created a lot of speed. That's the first thing. Uh, and the second thing that there was something uh, very deep that united us which is like seeing the world with um, white eyes. I think that we are both, we both have like wild hearts. And um, if you ask me, like this is, this is the source of uh, this idea, this is a source of the day-to-day -day, um, in the ups and in the downs, like this is how we experience each other. So I think that brings uh, uh, something very unique in our partnership. That's great. Look, partnership is, um the the it can be the hardest thing it can and it can be the most rewarding thing you know whether it's uh you know in in your, in your lives with you know other halves um or in the business sphere it's it's you've, you've got to work at it you've got to get it right and um you know that chemistry is everything like you mentioned to to share the same journey and vision and values and just that energy that that happens that you know this is someone i want to take this this road with and um, let's let's move on let's talk about unboxable because that's the company that you're both co-founders of um and let's just kick off i don't know who wants to take this 
give us the 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 nugget of what is unboxable who are you should i Shafi? yeah go okay <laughs> i'll 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 say it in in a very in as he said in a nutshell and then we can dive into the core and the source so by definition we are a predictive hiring technology we're allowing companies to completely remove CVs and resumes from their hiring processes and replacing it with what we call deep talent reports. These reports basically are telling companies everything they should know about a potential hire uh, in the light of the role as if, as if this hire is already an employee in the company. And by that, we're allowing companies to hire with speed and accuracy, which is today unmatched in the ecosystem. That is a big task because as someone who's worked in recruitment for, for a number of years, I know that um, this is a sector that a little bit like real estate actually hasn't seen huge disruption for a very, very long time. There is an ecosystem of new HR tech and supporting systems around it, but it feels like, and again, I'm not, not in the industry um, you know, day to day anymore, but um, there hasn't been any huge shift in the workflow yeah. of a recruiter. And so what you're trying to do is to shake up a whole category. Um, I yeah, guess that's probably right. one of the, the hardest things to do is sort of re-educating the market, Steffi. Yeah, so first of all, education is something that, you know, uh, every startup out there would say, wow, if you need to re-educate the market, it will take a long time. But we're seeing a lot, you know, how with the, our results, it's, it's evident. So, you know, that's, there's no, not so much effort over there when you are attacking this problem from the source. And the truth is that you're right. Like we're still, you know, 99% of the solutions out there, which are like, tons of them, right, in HR tech, are still having the same gatekeeper, which is uh, the CV, the resume. It's, it's uh, you know, we have said it so many times that probably it will sound repetitive, but it's a tool that was invented in 1482 by Leonardo da Vinci, right? And although he was a genius and I love him, um, we're 500 years with the same tool when things are a little bit different today. Um, we will talk have, later on. I about have to stop CV. you. What, what's the story of Leonardo da Vinci and the CV? Oh, okay. So it was 1482 and Leonardo da Vinci uh, wanted to get a job in the city of Milano. So he wrote a letter called Curriculum Vitae, right? Like the story of a life in Latin. And, uh, and today I will send you the picture because it's like, you can Google it. It's exactly the same. Like if you could translate Latin, you would see that it says the same kind of a things that you find in a CV today, right? So what is my past story? What are my skills? Um, well, he got the job, okay? He got the job. He got a job in the city of Milano. He was, he was selling um, the fact that he, he was very skilled in, in uh, creating or building tools, weapons that were light, like on-the-go weapons for a potential war. Back then, Milano was in, in, in war, but still he got the job, right? Um, let's say that that was a good hire, okay? But today we're using the same tool and the truth is that we have 46% of bad hires in the world. So we're not in the same situation than Leonardo da Vinci, right? Something needs to change and be reassessed. And this is why we're saying that 
uh, one of the things that uh, Yarden and me like uh, were really keen to is like to attack this from the you know at the core of the pain uh, from this broken protocol. Like, what can we do differently, right? So to remove all this, uh, to remove the CV, it's not because it's trendy to remove the CV. It's because there are bad predictors of success in this CV, such as uh, um, past experience with, you know, today in a world where one quarter of the person will do a career pivot, past experience, it's not relevant anymore. And, and also education pedigree, which is like, where did you study? Like, tell me, where did you study? And I will tell you if you're good or not. And that's not relevant anymore, neither, right? So um, uh, this is why we're removing that and we're creating a prediction that can really give you a hint of what it will be the story of this person once is hired until this person is like three months in, for instance. I think what's interesting about what you're trying to do is that it's not actually just focused, and maybe I'm wrong, it's not just focused on the company's recruiting process. It's actually a, a benefit it sounds like for the talent who is being recruited, because they can get to see presumably the type of work that they might do within the company. Is that, am I, am I right? You're total, totally right. And I think that basically today, what we're allowing companies to do is start by defining the job and defining the job if we'll look at job descriptions, we'll see the jobs definitions in the market today has to do a lot with the needed skills and their needed outcomes. But these skills and outcomes without the context are basically nothing because if someone will be able to act upon his skills and to unfold all of his knowledge and capabilities has to do only with the context. And the context come from the environment from the expectation of the management, from the ability to be well integrated with the team. So the ability to learn about one's hard skills, technical skills, knowledge, soft skills, but also how all of them are being expected to unfold in the context of the role, that's the game changer, okay? Because now there's a market which is full of solutions that are giving you so much indications about what are your technical skills? What is your past knowledge? We're not claiming that your technical skills and your past knowledge and everything that you did up until that point is not relevant. What we're saying that this is not a good predictor, a standalone predictor to your potential success within a specific opportunity. And what we are allowing companies and talent to do today is to surface all of the unique predictors that has to do with one's talent and also with the role and allowing them in a very early stage of the, of the process to see how this relationship is going to unfold. Is it going to thrive or not to thrive? And we are moving the needle today in a super dramatic way because today the market is basically stating 46% of bad hires. Wow. It means that of like one, it's like flipping a coin. It's insane. And everyone knows that. Everyone is suffering from that. So what do everyone do, including us? By the way, the reason that we started this company is because we suffered from this problem firsthand. When we needed to grow our teams or hire the, first, the next people to our teams, it was like, okay, now I'm looking at someone's CV. And then what? who am I? Like, 
who is this person? What am I supposed to do with this information in order to be able to predict if he or she should go into the funnel or not? And it was so frustrating, especially in 2020 back then when everything is happening in your, like the palm of your hand and you are used to making very like random and and basic decisions in much more contextual data-driven environments. And when it comes to like growing your teams that affect dramatically on the bottom line on your bit of your business you're still forced to use this like very outdated tools and we realized that the, the problem starts there from the fact that there's a broken protocol be- between th- these two entities we're lacking context we're lacking unique information that no one is even defining let alone measuring and this is today what is basically differentiate what we do here at unboxable from the rest of the ecosystem and allows us to bring really unmatched results today in the market. I think what is interesting for me is the you're just removing the element of chance that lives in the whole recruitment process today. Exactly. If we're saying that 50 basically 50% of the time it doesn't work. It now doesn't. as as a as a founder as companies who are you know in hyper growth i was speaking to monday.com recently they're recruiting 600 people this year yeah. and the, the 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 ability to be able to, to to match people to their roles and for people to understand whether the company is a right fit for them exactly. is, is, is left to a piece of paper that is that is it's just it doesn't actually make any sense now we're saying and playing it back to us so you know well done to you one question that does come up around simulation i was reading recently um what was it called fake news fake school fake economy by robert kiyosaki Mm -hmm. and he's a uh, he he talks in one chapter around the issues at school and that at school, we teach children to, you know, remember a piece of work and then sit an exam and try and regurgitate this piece of work that they learned. And that is something that just doesn't really happen in the workplace. I've never been asked to do that in 25 years in the workplace, but that's what I'd spent, you know, 16 years at school doing. Um, do you see, though, with those simulations that there could be a weakness in terms of I might just be a person that doesn't like to be in a test or in that environment and I'm not able to show my true self because actually in that environment I become anxious or it's just it's not suited to my makeup how does it account for that okay so it's it's a very good question right like um what we have seen from the past solutions is that everything that um creates an environment of testing meaning time you know that the 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 time is the time is uh uh, ticking right yeah yeah Mm -hmm. or um uh, that there's wrong and right that there's an expectation of wrong and right so it doesn't work okay and what unboxable does differently is that we create a situation we use situational judgment when there's no exactly wrong or right it's not binary okay it's about you know uh, it's about a scale on how accurate is your answer. And it has to do with the situation again, with the context of this specific role in this specific uh, company under this specific hiring manager. So, um, it's, uh, so it changes the game because it does give you the opportunity to show up on how would you react in a situation like this, whatever the situation is, without being, you know, 
with the, with the ghost of the time and without uh, being with the stress of right or wrong. So we took that out from the simulations. And I think that the other part where uh, we bring a huge added value that uh, none of the competitors and we haven't seen in the market is uh, the fact that we can predict if someone is going to thrive under a specific uh, leader or under a specific um, hiring manager. And this is something that changes the game because uh, it allows both sides. First of all, it allows the talent to have immediate feedback. When we, we launched this version of the product um, um, a little while ago, and the first talent that uh, used it already sent an email saying, oh my God, like finally I have immediate feedback on how am I, am I being seen, okay? Um, and on the other hand, it allows you to make a smart decision uh, of, you know, am I going to be able as a company to satisfy the psychological needs of this specific talent? And this has, again, to do with the context. So uh, there's a lot to say, and of course, we could talk hours about it, but uh, we remove, to your, to your question, we remove everything that uh, smells like a test. <laughs> I think what you said there in, the, in that last sentence around psychological um, factors that impact hiring is something that perhaps has always been um, sort of informal or unofficial. It's, you know, perhaps the recruiter's gut feel of, of how they feel towards another person, which is also, you know, a, a whole issue on itself. But um, there are qualities that we all have and we all show up in different ways in different environments. And I often use the example of, you know, sometimes I can be an introvert and sometimes I can be an extrovert. It doesn't mean I'm yeah. one or the other. I'm some of each of it at different times in different situations. How, how does unboxable, and I'm asking this really from my background in sales and marketing, how does unboxable factor in the EQ, the, the, the emotional intelligence that comes with working in a company, working with other people? Um, how, I mean, and I guess, how can, you, how can you pick up whether someone's a complete idiot or not? They might have the skills, but are they going to be an absolute pain in the backside to work with? How do you match that talent with culture? As I mentioned before, today, our algorithm basically runs on three main pillars the hard skills, the soft skills, and the context of the job, okay? And the context of the job has to do with how compatible am I with the manager, with the team, with the values of the company. The soft skill has to do with the relevant skills that are specific for the role that you're applying for. And the hard skills has to do with the technical, okay? With the technical knowledge that is important for the role. So what we're allowing you to do is in a very early stage to have some access to all of these different data points that are basically, basically curated around information that we're extracting from you as a company. So in order to open a job simulator, which is the tool that the talent is using instead of a CV, in order to apply, this job simulator is being based upon all of these different elements that you as a company, as a hiring manager, defining on our platform. So we're making sure, so it's not about, by the way, said about being an idiot, idiot, idiot or a pain in the ass. Just like in, in relationship, in love or sports, a match has to do with the context, with how Robert and Ilden are going to interact. 
And with me, you might be open and funny and, 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 and full of life. And with other people, they might affect you in a different way and you'll become another Robert. And what I care about is how Robert is going to unfold with me. And this is what we're allowing people to do. We're stop. We basically stop this disease of this entire market of trying to put people on benchmarks and with headers and with scores, because just like in love and in sport, it's relative. It has to do with a company, with a hiring manager, with the role. And what we are also basically allowing the market to do is to insert fluidity and to take out different limitation and boundaries because you might be relevant in one company as a talent for mm -hmm. a position of sales and in another company for a position of CS or account management or uh, internal external uh, man relationship management. And what we're allowing you to do is we're allowing you to be matched based on your skills and based on the environment that you're thriving under in order to be the best version of yourself. Are you, are you using psychometric testing within that soft skill process? Not at all, not at all. So basically we have a team of what we call matching analysts and they are responsible of integrating different type of tools questions, analysis into our AI that are assessing different type of capabilities. And these questions and, and evaluators can be based on technical skills. So they will be like hard code questions, but it could also be different soft skills. And then we're implementing different type of tools. For example, one of the tools that we're implementing is called ComProfile. And ComProfile is a tool that we are exclusively using in order to be able to analyze your uh, communicational profile, your behavioral uh, agility, uh, the type of like strength that you have, uh, what, 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 what is the type of environment that you're thriving under. So it's like different type of tools that are basically composing our AI that analyzing people. And it's all about people at the end of the day. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's matching the the, the skills yeah. and the other attributes that, that, that exactly. match up. Wow. Steffi, from an experience point of view for the user, um, whether it's the, the candidate or the company, where do you sit in the flow of recruitment? Do you, are you something that starts at the beginning? Um, what's the, well, I guess, where's the entry point for where Unboxable comes into the story? So today, the majority of our clients, of course, they use us in the first beginning, right? Because if you ask yourself, why do you need to, like in general, right? Why does the market need to wait 42 days in order to find out the deepest information from this, uh, sometimes even more? You know, we were interviewing one of our clients, um, I think last week, Eyal Shawan from Play Studios. He uses Unboxable from the first beginning. And he said, like, it's unbelievable that you're able to give me information about a talent in the day zero. This is what we say, day zero, without, without you even hop, hop, hopping on a call with a talent. It's, this is information that sometimes I don't even get after six months that this person was hired. It's so wow. deep and it's so accurate. And um, so, so the use case that we currently have with all of our clients is that they use our simulations and um, uh, unboxable simulations in the beginning of the funnel. 
Therefore, you will find, for instance, uh, first of all, they all increase the amount of talents that are applying to their job, okay? And our claim about that is, and we know it because talents are mentioning that, is because the candidate experience is amazing for them, okay? They feel that they have the chance to being seen, which is something that they didn't have before, right? The second thing is that um, the conversion rates from the first part of the funnel, which is, you know, very... Uh, very wide, mm -hmm. it goes very thin. Why? Because we're able to uh, allow yourself to allow you as a company to only spend time with the people that are highly, highly, highly relevant for you. And it might not be um, with the predictors that you used before. So suddenly you cannot claim that there's talent shortage or something. No, we're able to unlock for you with these job simulators a new hidden layer of the pool that you weren't seeing before in the market. And I think that's the other uh, part of us that uh, creates a lot of value for our clients besides other stuff, right? Like uh, the speed to hire, which is like cutting a half with us and um, the accuracy that it's today, 93%. And, you know, a lot of people say, why wait, but you know, the, the market is crazy. It's an acid. A lot of people are fighting for a talent. Why would you put a simulation in the beginning? Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, which I think this is why you were asking. And um, the truth is that talents out there are choosing, are preferring unboxable than sending their CVs because they know um, they, they prefer to invest time. Well, I can't, I can't show my true self through a CV. It's just impossible from one course, or two impossible. sheets of paper to show yeah. the true Robert. Yes, exactly. I think, I think also that screening time and time to hire. And again, I remember from doing it back in the day as a recruiter, that is the pain point of every recruiter, how to get those 42 days down, how to, to, to go through all of those candidates who apply quickly. And I think, I think the thing I've picked on picked up on, on what you've both said actually which is obviously super relevant in today's world is the 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 ability for unboxable to play a role in delivering true uh, equity um, democratization of the hiring process to to take out the the bias to take out the ability to make decisions that uh, might be partly based on skill, but because you like that person more or you have other biases that maybe are more negative. Um, that, yeah. I, I, I'm sensing that's something that you probably are a part of. Of course, like our solution uh, extracts or removes all the bias that have to do with personal affinity that we all have, right? Um, all the bad predictors, like where did you study? Um, in which, uh, in which uh, group were you in the military, like all of these things that might be uh, uh, putting you in a pipeline where you shouldn't be or taking you out, even worse, taking you out of a pipeline where you actually should be. So we're removing all of that and that for sure creates more diversity in the teams and we can, we can sense it already. I think that it also brings a lot of equality. You were talking about democratizing. And it brings the sensation of equality also for the for the talent. Like suddenly it's not that everyone does scrutiny, scrutiny on you, but also you have the power today as a, as a, as a talent to make an sure. educated decision about where do you want to spend your uh, most of your time and what should, you know, find your real powerhouse of talent so you can thrive. 
I might be getting way ahead of myself here, but I'm getting really excited by this idea. And you probably <laughs> thought of it already. So you can just say, Robert, get back in your box. But <laughs> this, 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 this idea of eventually you will be the central source of true skill talent that will be almost like a, a repository, a depository of, of talent around the world that I can say as a, as a company, I need this. And it can then overlay over the whole marketplace of Unboxable and say, these people are most likely, again, context is going to play, so you can't always do that. But these people are more likely in our predictive me method to match more easily with what you're looking for. And it's not only that, think about it from the other way around. You're speaking about the side of the companies that it's true that it's definitely not cracked, but it's definitely also a red ocean because there are so many solutions they are trying uh, to solve, to shorten, to make it more accurate. But what about the side of the talent, which is completely, completely neglected? And now we will be able to tell you, Robert, these are your skills. This is what you gain in the last 24, 18 months in your last position. These are all the opportunities that are relevant for you now based on the new market, based on the new opportunities since the last time you were searching for a job. And now helping talent to actually tap into all of the opportunities out there for them. Just like today, when you're hungry, when you're calling in for a taxi, when you're looking for a date, you creating a profile and based on that all the opportunities are, are coming your way yeah you know like few i think a few months ago i was speaking to efrat dagan which is you know one of the most uh, talented uh, and experienced recruiters uh, in israel she has worked for amazing companies and we were i asked her like okay so how do you see recruiting in like how would you hire in 10 years from now close your eyes and tell me what do you see over there so we were playing a little bit the futurist game right <laughs> and she suddenly tells me like um so i think that the right way that this will happen is that you have enough data about me as a talent and enough data on the other side from companies that I will apply to jobs while I'm sleeping and I will wake up and I will have this email that tells me these are all the opportunities that are going on. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, we don't need to wait 10 years for that. We don't need to wait 20 years for that. <laughs> like we're actually working on it. And like, I think this is what excites, excites us the most, right? Uh, what, you were, what you were saying before. I think it makes total sense. I'm so there, Efrat is so right. Um, I, I guess if we move to sort of like bigger themes of, of around what's happening generally within the um, you know business ecosystem, obviously everyone's talking about the you know the great resignation or the big quit, or I heard someone yesterday coin it the great pivot. And um, I, whenever I hear that word pivot, I just think of Friends, that Friends episode where Ross is taking the sofa, pivot, pivot, pivot. Anyway, <laughs> for another time. But um, <laughs> the, um, I, remember that, I remember this episode. It's a funny episode. It's a funny episode. But, but how do you see the market moving with this, given that the shifts in what work means is unbelievably changing for 
you know, in a direction that not, I don't think any of us would have ever seen before. This idea of tours of duty or short bursts at specific companies where I might only do six months there and move on to the next one. I saw a company this week called um, Overpass, who based in the States. And if you need sales talent for a period of time, three months, six months, you can just go in, find the person that you think might be best suited to you in their sort of Fiverr style marketplace and give them a project for three or six months. And, and it feels like we're heading towards this, you know, your, your fluid work world. That's going to impact um, yeah. HR recruiters' roles and the products that they use. Okay. A lot of people are talking about the great resignation and, you know, how things are changing very rapidly. I think that the move now is like how to rebuild this protocol so we will move toward, towards the great hire, okay? This is where, my, where I'm concentrated, where we are concentrated on. And I think that, um, first of all, these trends or these you know, like, uh, signals that the landscape of uh, hiring was giving us uh, before COVID were only accelerated but by COVID, but they were there before, okay? So uh, the amount, the vintage of an employee, right? How much time will this person stay with us was already being shortened before. Or, you know, uh, the, the gig economy. So like this idea that it's not only that I will have people that are part of my uh, stable uh, team, but I also have, the gig economy and I freelancers and I will also have robots. So how can I create a culture with these uh, 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 three aspects or three elements in a, in a team? There's a lot of things like that and people, people are afraid um, of, of some of these trends specifically about how long will an employee stay with us. Mm -hmm. And I think that the right way of seeing or a better way of seeing this is like, can we move towards a situation where we can measure you know, until when is the highest contribution that this person can give to this company and vice versa, right? What is the biggest contribution that this company can give to someone's talent, okay? Because everything has a cap. And if we would be able to discover this cap, then there's no problem about time. So the problem here is about the angle on how we're measuring stuff. That's the first thing. And then you were talking about liquidity, okay? Which is one of my favorite topics. So I will try to make it very short. <laughs> uh, the truth is that there are two things happening. One on the side of the positions and the companies. The DNA of the positions are being rewritten. We're in a situation where technology and the changes in the, our society are turning the shape of the positions to unknown shapes. So a marketeer before, you know, we would look at skills like communication and project management, but today they need to know SQL, right? They need to know Tableau as the software, for instance. These, uh, um, these skills that weren't part of the nature of this role are now part of this role and they are in high demand. These skills are grown 733% in the last few years, okay? In terms of- do, do, Just so I'm clear, do you mean that, you know, if you're hiring Robert and it's clear that this is the tech stack that I'm most comfortable with and you use a tech stack that is different, my time to being viable within the business is gonna be longer if you were to opt with me because I'm gonna to have to onboard different tech to be, a, a full member of that team? No, no, no. I'm, I'm not no longer talking about contribution. I'm talking about the nature of the role. 
Like I'm talking about the fact that the way that we used to know positions in the past have changed. And, you know, the skills even that you're looking in one in one's position are not the same as in the past. So for instance, today as a marketeer, you need to, to know SQL data, right? And before we weren't looking for that, I'm talking about five years ago, it's like a rapid change. So this has created unknown shapes. On the side of the talent, the same is happening. We are facing the most hybrid uh, human capital ever because of informal education. People can learn new skills that are not necessarily related to their main, you know, uh, to their main uh, job title overnight. So they reskill themselves constantly. And then, you know, if it was hard already in the past to match these two things, these two shapes that were well known, imagine how difficult it is today. So I think this is the liquidity that we're talking about. You know, people are evolving. We see both companies, positions, and also talents as breathing systems that are constantly uh, fueling and feeding each other and therefore changing their shapes. And we need to find better, more accurate systems and better uh, accurate technology in order to match them in the I, right time. I, I, I guess, Yardem, we're looking at, at the moment, a marketplace where, you know, like Steph, Steph is saying, that at the moment work, the amount of work available exceeds the amount of talent that is available in the market. But if I'm following what Steph is saying properly, um, it might be that Robert could perform three of those roles in one and therefore my currency in the marketplace is much higher and actually my skill set can, can overlay into those different roles. Look, I think that it's not about uh, you being a multi-talent necessarily, but about the fact that today the market is looking at talent from a very specific lenses, which are where did you work and what did you do up until that point? Where did you study? Where we're allowing them to look at talent from different lenses. And by doing that, we're expanding the amount of talent that they should consider as relevant for the role. You understand? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, the entire market is chasing uh, these 15% of talent that has the right CVs, that they worked at the right places, that they graduated from the right um, universities. But in reality, they're not the only talent that can perform or execute the role. And what we're allowing them to do is to redefine how what the role actually entails without putting this crazy, very aggressive gatekeepers, seven years off, three years off, senior in, which is super general, not subjective and cutting in a very, very extreme way, the cake, we're allowing them to create this specific subjective lenses to look at talent. And by that, we're expanding the amount of talent that they're actually uh, ending up hiring. Because today, our clients basically uh, declare that 30% of the talent that they hire through Unboxable are talent that they would never even wow. let them based on their CV. So that's a dramatic change. That's huge. That's huge. That's huge. That's huge. Imagine that's huge for companies. Imagine how huge it is for the person that was chosen, right? Yeah. You basically are able to change uh, that person's life because you get to let them, let him being seen in a different way. I, I think also 
to, to, to latch on to the liquidity and currency concept is that, you know, unfortunately, obviously, we're seeing in the Ukraine at the moment, you know, this, this horrific conflict, um, and people are talking about the end of globalization, I think they might be talking about that, perhaps just within a security military aspect. But I think it's the other way around when it comes to work. Your product is going to, and the way the world's moving is that I can can bypass a lot of things that are localized in terms of my recruitment process, which doesn't mean just meeting the person. It means culture. It means everything. And I can quickly go to South America, Africa, places that I'm not recruiting currently and access people who are just as talented but don't get the access. Definitely. Exactly that. I can tell you that we have several clients that are using using our product exactly for that, like hiring and penetration, new markets where the cultural differences are so big that they're forced on on actually working with like local people in order to hire. And we're allowing that them to do that in an automated way online without any anyone on grounds and actually start hiring people in places just like you mentioned that they would never never take into consideration before i feel like this is just a huge part of your company purpose this the the reason why why you're existing is you you happen to have an amazing tool that enables that to happen but your why is this this ability to change lives definitely i think if i go if i'm going back to what you asked us in the first place and about of what steffi said about having a wide hearts i think it's it's about that i think that at the end of the day there's a true mission here about allowing everyone to be seen allowing everyone to thrive about making sure that like people will spend more most of their waking hours in places that they feel growth and happiness in addition to that like um you know, this is for sure a question that more people have asked us. Like, why did you decide to devote yourself, you know, the third company from a second company for a young man? Like, uh, you know, again, another startup, like, and, and, you know, startups are hard. Entrepreneurship is hard, right? And, and I think that there's something very deep um, that we have seen in how our, like, in the way that we are solving it for people, right? Like, we have, we know the talents that are being hired. And I think that there's... Uh, there's this moment, and I always say it, so Yarden, forget, forgive me. Um, there's this moment in a television, in like stupid, or maybe not that stupid, um, uh, shows that have to do with talent, you know, like, uh, uh, it doesn't matter, The Voice. Ah, like, like Britain's Got Talent. Or, yes. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a moment over there that makes people cry, okay? There's a second over there when someone has, you know, a huge talent suddenly sings like with a tremendous voice, right? And people are like, and I think that um, there's this moment is what we are allowing people to do with their talents. Like we're giving them the stage in order to be seen in their true colors, no matter what, where you're coming from, what's your background, what is the bias that we have. And I think that that, this is what keeps us going and this is what also like brings us so much stamina uh, in our business. Look, yeah. it resonates so much with the name Unboxable. I think of Britain's Got Talent now. You've reminded me of this. The, the winner of probably about 10 years ago was a woman called Susan Boyle. She's I know. Back- 
She stepped onto the stage. She looked like a grandmother in like a floral dress that, you know, hair that was from like the 1950s. She looked like she was 80. She was about 26 years old. And, you know, she comes on screen. We're all biased. We look at her. Nah, no way. No way this woman wins Britain's Got Talent. She opens yeah. her voice. Magical. What a skill. She goes on right now. Yeah, I remember it perfectly. So these are the moments that we're allowing uh, for talents to enjoy and also for companies to make smart decisions based on that. So ladies, in the time that we've got left together, I want to tackle some issues around purpose. It's International Women's uh, Month and this week is International Women's Day on Tuesday. Um, so I'm hoping that we can get this out beforehand. Um, do you you can answer separately. Arden, I'll start with you. Do you want to be known as a female founder, a female entrepreneur? That's, that's an interesting question. I feel that I, and, 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 and I'll speak for myself, I do not define myself like as an entrepreneur from a gender perspective. Um, but I cannot say that I don't feel any differences, right? Like I think that as I started when I said that Steffi and I met each other when we were both new mothers and we started the journey of motherhoods and uh, starting a new business at the same time. It has, it has its, its toll, but at the same time, it also brings you a certain perspective about, I, I'm always saying that um, being a female is something about containment and being a, a man or a male, something about penetration. There's something very natural. And I think that there's something in the way that we see problems, we solve them, we bring solutions that is, is very wide and open. And it's something that I love and I cherish. And I'm, I, I want to say that like before Unboxable, I was surrounded only by men and having alongside me uh, Steffi and being like female founders is something that I feel that brings me into peaks that I could never, ever imagine really um and i'm saying that coming from a family with a very strong mother and i'm very happily married to someone actually my husband is also an entrepreneur and a ceo of a startup and we're very much equal and my god i wouldn't want to live in your house <laughs> <laughs> no comment no comment because you, you, you catch me you catch me the wrong day yeah these are hectic times. We have also two very young kids at home. So interesting times. And I can tell you that, of course, it has its toll. But at the same time, I think that it's something that both of us bring together that creates different reality for us. And I love that. That's a great answer. Steffi, your, your take. You know, I, I, I am part of like a women entrepreneurs uh, community. So this is a very, you know, touch subject, of course. And I must tell you that in the past, I would have told you like, um, no, I just, I, I, I don't want to be known as a female entrepreneur, but I think that the reason or the way that I was calculating that answer would be because I don't want to victimize myself. I don't want to have shame. I don't want to. So it was from, from that from operating from there. Right. And today I think that I do want to be known as a female entrepreneur in, in the following uh, way. I think that it's important that other people, other women that are not as privileged as me and Yarden, 
um, will know that it's possible. And that's the only reason why I would like to be uh, known as a female entrepreneur. Why are we privileged? I don't know. <laughs> we're privileged. definitely. I feel, no, I feel that we're very hard workers. I feel no, that. No, I'm like, not talking about that. I'm talking about. I, I for, of, of course, I'm, I have nothing to say about that. I'm talking about a privilege in the in the broader social aspect, right? So the truth is that both you and me, you know, then had very good examples at home of women, mm-hmm. you know, creating their paths. Also, my mom, etc. Like both of us have like very very strong women in our houses. Um, but the rest of the examples that we had in life were all men. Me also as a creative director or as a, you know, in advertising is full of men, right? So I think that uh, if, if our title will add one woman more in the top of a decision-making process, I think that it's just to add to the, to the stats, I think that I, I would go for that. I think it's, again, I can only speak from a, a man's point of view. I think it's, it's about making sure that the equality or equity of opportunity exists. That um, I, I read recently that you know female founders are like fifty times less likely to raise money from VCs, um, and and that can't be right. So it's about that opportunity that everybody should know, and everybody can realize whatever it is they're trying to achieve in their life. Yeah, fortunately, okay, so fortunately we raised money like and, and we didn't experience that problem, right? Um, but of course, like we we can hear and we can see the gaps, like for sure, in 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 salaries, in access to power, in the way that you have been seeing, in the questions that you're being asked, of course. Uh we just have me and Yarden, our very unique way of uh um dealing with that, which is brutal honesty. And I think that that's super important. We call people out if uh, we feel that this is not, or we, or we would, you know, I don't think that we will have a relationship with an investor that thinks in that uh, way. Our investor, by the way, is uh, our first investor was uh, Rona Sege, which is a, a female investor. And, um, you know, I think that people get confused. Like, uh, you know, I was asked this thing about the, why do you think that there's a less amount of women entrepreneurs than men? And I would say, listen, it's not, and, and, and many men were asked the same question, okay? And I was the only one that answered differently. Guess why? Um, they were saying because there's something soft or with more fears of failure that, the, the, that women are being raised differently than uh, men so with more fear of failure mm-hmm. and I was like no guys like you don't understand the question here is about fear of success the system is not being um the structure of the system is not being built for us to be able to just run right so I think that there's a lot of operational things that the market should uh, rethink about that but fortunately me and Yarden are very focused on our uh, journey and I think that we are becoming a good example for also other uh, women that want to do that. Listen, it's not easy. We do have days where like the kid in the kindergarten, la, la, la. and in that I want to say that it's not only the partnership that you choose for your business; it's also very important the partnership that you use for the, that you choose for your life. Like, sure. who are you trying to spend your life with? 
And it's important for me to mention that neither of our husbands are stay-home dads. Both of them are working really hard. And we're just making sure that we are really splitting equally everything that has to do with our mutual yeah. venture, which is our families. And there are some burdens that no one can take from us, like being pregnant and giving birth to lives and uh, feed, uh, breastfeeding and all other uh, beautiful gifts that we received from God, from God. But at the same time, this is just the reality. And we need to make sure that we're creating the right surrounding, surroundings that would allow us to flourish despite that. And also thanks to that, because there are so many crazy lessons that I brought back after giving my first birth about losing control, about being in control, about trusting others, about having a plan. And then this entire plan goes down the toilet and you have a new reality about going up on your legs right after you had the greatest trauma of your life. So, so many things that are happening to you also as a woman are very, you, you spoke about sport in the past. So I think that like something about motherhood and the creation of life mm-hmm. is, is the most similar thing that has to do with creating a business. Yeah, entrepreneurship equals, like pregnancy is entrepreneurship. <laughs> Nine months of craziness. Yes, of course. I, th- I think for me, you know, just speaking honestly, I don't want a situation though where women are the same as men and men are the same as women. I think everyone has their own, um, you know, um, off- offering to give to the world. And some of that sometimes will overlap and sometimes it won't. And what you bring to, uh, you know, a business or to life will be different to what I bring to business and life. But I see from, from clients that we have in our own business that we're, we're dealing with, you know, female CEOs, male CEOs, and they all have some of the same problems, the same behavior traits. Um, and, and, you know, they're all just trying to, to do the best they can in, in delivering their mission. But um, I, I, I guess, you know, a, a couple of final questions for you. Um, on your website, I watched the video of this red-headed, fire-blowing, um, overall-wearing lady who's yeah. setting fire to the box. How much is that a statement? Be honest. It's it's everything. Yeah. Of course, it's everything. <laughs> it's like uh, I'm happy that you that that you were able to see it like that. Also, that was uh, it shows that we were very accurate in our message. Um, no, listen, like uh, me and Yarden are super unapo- unapologetic. Like that's the message, right? Um, we are here to break this. Yeah. We're two women, you know, and we're going to run with everything that we have until we break every single box out there. I just love the red hair. I've got to tell you that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the final, final, final question, because you make this statement on your website and it, it, it shook me a little bit, actually. Um, we probably don't have enough time to go into it in more depth now, but you say on your website, um, we're in a fluid world that's in motion like never before. Families, gender, work, and borders. There's a lot to unpacking that. It's its own separate podcast, probably. Um, that's a really big statement to make. I don't think I agree with some of it. Uh, we can talk about that, but I can assume which part you cannot agree with. 
I think I think um, I think the families and gender thing is an issue for me that um, we, we can unpack it. But what, first of all, what made you made you write that and be so bold on the website? Um, I think that this is the fluidity that we were talking before, like either we like it or not. Um, the new generations have uh, an, a different understanding about uh, what is your ID, what, like identity wise, right? Like we, we are coming, even our generation is coming from um, systems that uh, just wanted to put us in labels or in, you know, boxes uh, in order to, because it was easy. And, and we're saying, okay, the intention wasn't bad. The intention was like, let's make it easier. Let's call, okay, a family is this. Uh, a couple is this. Uh, gender is male or uh, female. Uh, you know, very binary ways. And as we are evolving as humanity, like new definitions are appearing. It, again, whether we like it or not, they exist. And um, that's creating more complexity in the world. Which makes we... the old tools even less relevant. Yes. So the essence of that is that at the end of the day, no one wants to uh, be put in a box, right? Either as a talent or as a human or as a, no, like it doesn't work anymore. You are much more than, you know, um, six sides. You are much more than either um, this uh, political color or the other. You are, it's, it's much richer than a binary result. And I think that that's what we're allowing people to show also, that it's not black or white uh, and that the gray can be even much more successful. I, I think it's interesting what you say. And I, I agree with a lot of what you said, actually. And uh, um, perhaps perhaps where I'm coming from on, on some of that statement is, you know, I see in the workplace that people are um, yearning for belonging and connection and they're using their work as a new place of community. And I, I, I see that maybe as, but again, I'm no uh, social anthrop anthropologist, but a, a result of the breakdown of, whether you call it traditional family or not, but that for me, yes, my work is my work. And there are lots of other places in my life that are community to me. And that has, I think, been degraded over recent decades so, so that people don't have that same level of connection. So they look for it in their workplace um, and that's where they're driving, um, you know, their, their, their interactions and engagement. That's why employee engagement is so, so important. Um, so I think sometimes boxes are useful because not, not, you can't always be an individual. There are times where you, where there are times where you need to identify with other people and say, I, I, "I'm like you," and we're on a journey together in in this way. So there are sometimes where borders and barriers, boxes, do work. No, I think that the, the only thing that we're missing here is to claim that you cannot be defined based on the box that someone else chose to put you in. And this is what we're fighting against for, okay? And I think that's like the bottom line of what we're doing here. Because when I'm assuming something about the other side, when having very little information, and based on that, I'm making dramatic decisions, this is 
where the entire process is wrong. And this is where we're moving the needle dramatically. You see, and this is why we're partners. She couldn't have said it better. <laughs> well, I, th I think with that amazing statement, it's uh, time to draw things to a close because I've kept you longer than um, you probably could afford. It was absolutely my pleasure to be able to listen to both of you, Yarden and Steffi, um, to, to hear how you are unboxing the world. And um, I wish you only huge, huge success in everything that you're doing, that uh, your, your mission and your reason why should um, come to fruition and that you're changing people's lives ultimately that we're removing yes. that 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 element of the of the box and giving people opportunity that they may never have had before so thank you for being on coffee with curtis thank you robert for having us have a beautiful week and happy women's day and to you thank you both bye, bye.